0: You know, I have family in Newfoundland. I've spent quite a bit of time in Atlantic Canada over the years. My mom lived in PEI for a little bit. I spent a summer there. It's a wonderful part of the world. I did quite a bit of work there when I was a reporter. Um, So watching Fiona tear such a path of destruction through that whole area was heartbreaking really. And I feel like we just haven't talked about it much since it happened. So I was really curious to go back and find out, check back in with some of the people we spoke to back when Fiona was bearing down on the region to find out what's happened now. Uh, more than a month later, uh, Newfoundland, Newfoundland and Labrador, I mean, most of it didn't get too badly hit, but Porto Basque, southwestern Newfoundland, that was, that was different. One person, of course, died. Dozens of homes were destroyed in Porto Basque itself when those storm surges swamped the community of 4,000. A month later, many homes remain inaccessible due to ongoing safety issues. Dozens of people still need to be housed. They haven't been able to go home yet. And many who lost their homes are wondering if, how, and where to rebuild their view of a sea, of an ocean that many had lived, beside, you know, people there had been living in these areas for generations. And now their relationship with the sea has changed a little bit, not not forever and maybe not for everyone, but it's viewed differently. The, the threat that the sea now poses uh, to some areas of that community has changed fundamentally. And with more on that, I'm joined by Andrew Parsons. He's the MHA for Bergio Le Poil, and he's the Minister of Industry, Energy and Technology for the Government of Newfoundland and Labrador. His writing, of course, includes Porto Basque. Andrew, welcome back. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Good to be back, Ben.
0: Well, last we spoke, it was right in the midst of it, uh, or just in the aftermath, really. Do we have a better idea of, of just where Porto Basque stands today and how much work still needs to be done?
1: You know what, we, we do. Uh, it's been, a, a, I guess, a long time coming. It feels like so long, just over a month. Uh, so I, I guess the reality is that I think we do have an early indication of some of the totality. Uh, now, would I be able to give you an answer on how long it will take to rebuild? Uh, sadly, I wouldn't. This is absolutely going to take, I don't think just months. I think this is going to absolutely go into the next couple of years.
0: Yeah, it really has, unfortunately, just reshaped the entire community. I gather.
1: Absolutely. Uh, you know, I was just down in that neighborhood on Saturday with a really good friend of mine, someone who never lost uh, their house, but their entire backyard is gone, and it's right sort of near the, I, I guess you could call it the ground zero. I don't know if that's appropriate or not, but like mm. it, when you look at the aerial shots of that area, it is is dramatic. And we were just talking about how really it was the, the end of a neighborhood because, in, I mean, the majority of damage was in this the channel part of Channel port of bas the oldest settled part. I mean, I would say it's close to 80 homes that uh, if they weren't wiped out, uh, they were uh, demolished. And when you look at a community of 4,000, that is a significant number.
0: That is. I mean, I'd seen at one point the estimate was about 100. It looks like it would be more than that that were damaged damaged or destroyed, not just destroyed. But that's an incredible amount of homes for a small community.
1: Yeah, no. So that's right now, when you look at the entirety, and a lot of the tension has been on Portabasque due to it, it really... I guess, received the brunt of the storm. Uh, there's about 95 homes that have been, we'll call it for lack of a better word, written off. Um, they've been inspected multiple times as it relates to environmental safety or structural safety. Uh, in some cases, they may not have been hurt structurally, but between the water and maybe oil, sewer going in, the house it's just not in- inhabitable. There's already, we know, a second tranche of... Now that they've done, I guess, a new flood risk zone mapping, uh, the reality is that that home I mentioned there, I was there the other day, that home, if there's another storm, that is right there in that spot. So we're probably in the range of looking at another 40 to 50 homes that even though they may be structurally sound right now, they're probably not safe to stay in with the damage that was caused.
0: Where is everyone? Uh, I, I, last we spoke, I, I you'd, you'd said, I think I'd heard that many people had managed to sort of resettle with family and so on. But there's only so long that can can go on.
1: Absolutely. Uh, so right now, I think there are roughly 60 people that are still staying in hotels. Uh, what's been going on since, and, and again, many people still reside uh, with family uh, or staying, you know, in other accommodations, we'll say, that they achieved One of the biggest pieces of work that has gone on is that there's been a housing committee struck by various government departments who were doing a combination of figuring out, you know, accommodation possibilities, temporary accommodations, Uh, you know, might be apartments, might be houses, might be that are for sale, it might be you know, is a hotel a long-term possibility? And then you have a list of the displaced and their family compositions, you know, everybody's different. You might have a senior versus a young working family with multiple kids to people with mobility issues. They're trying to, to match those possibilities up with the family. That's probably the biggest piece of work that's ongoing and probably the most difficult because in some cases, you know, when you've been staying by yourself in a hotel room for 30 days, that has an effect on many people's uh, mental health. It's, it's already a depressing time. That That's certainly contributed.
0: Yeah, it sounds... Okay, when you first start it 's a long time to be stuck in a hotel room uh, when we last spoke there was there was an idea that there were people who just weren 't going to go back to their old homes couldn 't go back, but also didn 't want to go back that in some ways this had reshaped the way Porto basque and and surrounding neighbor uh, communities were actually going to be settled in the future. Are you still hearing that
1: absolutely, and that that fear has not left since then. This has absolutely impacted not just physically. But the psyche of the community has changed. I saw one long-time resident in one of the areas that was hit. Even if his house was found to be sound, he wasn't going back. He saw enough. This is somebody who's been living in the community for 70 years. I mean, when you see these people that are feeling that fear that they may not have felt before, that's, that's huge. So right now, you've got uh, a situation of, we're going to say, 95 houses that are either have been demolished already naturally about to be demolished uh, or not safe to go back in they're not going to be rebuilt there these areas will not be rebuilt Uh, there's no way i think that even if insurance were to cover it they would never allow for a rebuild there i don't know if we uh, as we move forward into the i guess the reimbursement stage of things i don't think there's a desire by the town or citizens to go back there's always the isolated case but overall this has had a permanent effect on people's desire to live in these areas right along the ocean.
0: In terms of the money, um, does Newfoundland Labrador have what it needs? Does Porto Basque have what it needs? How are you sorting that out?
1: That is still an ongoing situation. You know, I I wasn't personally infected with my home, but it's been hard. It's been hard on everybody uh, mentally. It's just, it's just, it's hard to be around that level of tragedy in some cases and not have an effect, but if there's been a silver lining and we look for them, the amount of love and support, just good gestures that has come in has been just out of this world. The support has come in from all across this province, across this country. So for that, I, I, I say, thank you to people. The just the, the sheer number of goods and supplies coming in through Red Cross and through Lions Clubs and through Salvation Armies. Uh, the money that's been raised, I think the Red Cross is already up over the 22 million mark. Uh, the province put 30 million uh, up uh, for this. So, right now, most people have received some kind of immediate support. Right now, I think as of yesterday, there was about 1.7 million that's been passed out to just over 350 households. So, the biggest issue that we have not figured out yet, but we are working on, is the situation of someone who's had their home wiped out may have had insurance, may not have had insurance. Generally speaking, insurance is not covering this. There's no storm surge coverage. That's right. We're trying to figure out how do we take care of these individuals uh, and trying to treat every case individually because it's hard to put just a, a static figure there. And again, the rebuild will likely start in
0: the spring. Well, Andrew Parsons, thank you so much for the update. Uh, of course, our thoughts are still with the folks of Porto Basque and surrounding communities these days after that uh, incredible tragedy that they suffered through just a month ago now. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Ben. And uh, thanks for having me on to talk about this again.